Well, good morning, friends. This is podcast number 378 for Tuesday, the 21st. I pray that you are well. Um, as I'm taping this, lots going on in the world, and um, lots. You know, we got the um, a storm in Louisiana and into New Orleans and and uh, all the damage that it's caused. We have COVID still going on. We have the last day or two of troop withdrawal and people withdrawal out of Af- Afghanistan. So there's a lot going on. And uh, and we just need to remember that uh, God is in charge. You know, I, I think we get pushed back when people, when, when we say to people, well, you know, God's in control. He either is or he isn't, people. It can't be he's in control of some things. God is providential. He's in he's in charge. He he takes nothing takes him by surprise. And um and so I believe that. If you believe something different, that's you know, that's okay. But maybe we can, you know, talk it over on email or something about um who's in control of this this world. And and the reality is that's what was going on in Colossae. Paul's teachers were coming in saying, no, God is not in control. Jesus is just an emanation, one of many. Let's look at our verses because I think we need to drive on these verses in the present time in which we live in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, underline bodily. Remember, this was an attack that the Gnostics... Uh, were were levying against the church because the church believed that Jesus Christ um, came in bodily form, John 1, 14, that he died and then he resurrected. And if the body was truly evil, as they say it was, why in the world would Jesus want to return to a body that was evil? They didn't believe that he was in a body. They believed that he was an emanation or a spirit and that the flesh was evil. So the false teachers in Colossae, like the false teachers of our own day, would deny the importance of Jesus Christ. We see that all the time. And I'm reading uh, some from Where's Me Today. <coughs> have a little bit of a sore throat again. Sorry. <clears throat> um, they would simply just dethr- they would they would not deny Christ, but they would dethrone him. They would not deny him, but they would dethrone him. There's a big difference between prominence and preeminence. They gave him prominence like people do today. Many people say, well, Jesus was a good man or he was a prophet. And a lot of religions say the same thing. The reality is that that is demeaning Christ. That is placating. That is trying to say to us, oh, don't get too excited. He is a prophet. He was a good man, but he was not the son of man. And in these verses that we're looking at, verse 19 verse, and chapter 2, verse 9, and especially what we're going to look at in this this next portion of Scripture, which we're going to take probably a few days to get through. We need to understand that Jesus Christ is not prominent. He's preeminent. That means he's number one. Preeminent. He's over all things. He's not prominent like a good man. Prominent like a prophet. Prominent like um, a good moral teacher. And what they're facing and, and they were facing back then, we're still facing in 2021. People want to tell us, oh, don't get so excited about Jesus. He's just one of many ways. It's not true. So let's go on. Uh, Probably no paragraph in the New Testament contains more concentrated doctrine about Jesus Christ than this one. And we're looking at uh, really verses 13 through 20. We won't go through all of them. So let's read 
verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And these two verses may be about as far as we get today. Um, let's, so let's break it down and, and let's, let's hear what Wearsby has to say about this because I think it's so, it's so critical and crucial that we understand those two verses. Um, from Wearsby, man's greatest problem is sin, right? We agree with that, I hope. It's not the environment. It's not critical race theory. It's not... Um, uh, what's going on around the world as far as you know, wars and rumors of wars, it's sin. Uh, it's a problem that we can never solve, and philosophers or religious leaders can't solve. Sinners need a Savior. Sinners need a Savior. They don't need to turn over a new leaf. Um, they don't need to try to do better things. Sinners need a Savior. These two ver verses present a vivid picture of four things saving action, excuse me, of Christ on our behalf. Number one, and look at verses, verse 13, first part of it, verse A, he's delivered us. He's delivered us. Get your notepads out because uh, I'm going to give you some some words um, here that you'll, um, or some definitions. This word delivered means he's rescued us from danger. And that in itself is a really good thing. He's rescued us from danger. But it's more than that. We could not deliver ourselves from danger. We could not deliver ourselves from the guilt of sin. We needed a Savior. We could not deliver ourselves from the penalty of sin. But Jesus could, and he did. But this deliverance involves something else. We were delivered from the authority of Satan and the power of darkness. But the, the Gnostic teachers uh, taught that Everything was evil and the evil spirits and there was this spiritual world that was going on and Jesus was just one of those spirits. You can see how this, if you weren't grounded in the word of God, uh, it, would, it would destroy them. It would undermine everything that, that, that was being taught. Look at chapter 1, verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, it says, For by him all things, underline all or circle it, were created in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all were created um, through him and for him. Not some, not just the things visible, but the things invisible as well. So we were delivered from that, that world. How were we were delivered? We were delivered by the price that Jesus paid. So he delivered us. Second of all, it says he translated us. And this is this is pretty cool. So these he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us or translated us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This word translate is was used to describe a deportation, to deport a population from one country to another. This happened to the Jews, remember, on uh, a couple occasions. One of those was when Antiochus the Great transported at least 2,000 Jews from Babylonia to Colossae. Back to Colossae. After they, many of them had been delivered from um, into Babylon. So that was another deportation. Jesus Christ did not release us from the bondage only to help us uh, wander aimlessly. 
Jesus Christ transported us as well. Not physically, but he transported us uh, from the kingdom of bondage into the kingdom of light. Listen to this, and I thought this was so crucial when I read this. And this is so true if you look. When, when, when captors came in or when conquerors came in, they would take the conquered and they would line them up and, and they would take them into back to where they were. Um, like for the Romans, they would conquer someone and bring them back to Rome as slaves and they would parade them as losers. Jesus Christ didn't do that. Jesus um, didn't transport the defeated. He transported winners. Jesus Christ took us, saved us, and then he transferred us as victors in him into the kingdom of his light. I know that it's tough sometimes to see ourselves as victors when we, when we, when we have so many um, issues and so many things going on. But the picture here is so important because the Jews um, uh, understood what it meant to be conquered, right? And these people in Colossae would have understood that because Antiochus the Great brought them back from uh, Babylon, uh, Babylonian captivity and he brought them to this place called Colossae. So they would have understood what it means to be transported. The experience of Israel in the Old Testament is an illustration of this spiritual experience as well. For God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt and took them into the promised land of their inheritance. God brings us out that he might bring us in. He brought them out of Egypt, which is a picture of sin, into, his, into the promised land, which, which is the picture of his promise to them and a picture of deliverance. So not only has he delivered us, he's translated us. And third, in, in verse 14, he's redeemed us. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. It says this, um, In him, in whom, excuse me, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we have redemption. This word means to release a prisoner by the payment of a ransom. Paul did not suggest that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan in order to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. By Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus met the holy demands of God's law. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's stamp of approval that Jesus' uh, sacrifice was accepted. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was God the Father's stamp of approval that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted. The sacrifice and the penalty for sin was not paid to Satan. It was paid to God because we violated God's holy law. And then God, through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of our, forgiveness, forgives our sin, redeems us, buys us back, and releases us. But he did more than just redeemed us. He didn't just put us back to square one. I want you to look at a scripture in 2 Corinthians. And I just turned the wrong way in my Bible, so you're not the only one who does this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Maybe you don't do that. It's only me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't just forgive us of our sin and put us at square one with no sin, because what would we, what would we have done next? Right back to sin. Jesus came, lived a righteous life, a sinless life, died for us, 
And because of that, he not only forgives us, but then he accounts the righteousness uh, of his life. God accounts the righteousness of his son's life to you and I. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, not because of us, but because of what his son has done. The payment has been paid. The ransom has been paid on Calvary. And through Christ and Christ alone, we have this forgiveness. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter's preaching before the council. Is this beautiful message. And then in verse 12, he says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which we must be saved. We cannot be saved under every other, any other name. There is not multiple roads. There are not multiple roads to heaven. There is but one road. And the price was paid by Jesus Christ. So he's delivered us. He's translated us. He's redeemed us. And he's forgiven us. The rest of verse 14 says, um, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption and forgiveness go together. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 7. It says this, and again, I've of all the chapters in the Bible, and there are some great ones, Romans chapter 8 is fabulous, 1 Corinthians 13, John chapter 1, John 15, Philippians 2, Philippians 4. There's some amazing chapters, 1 Corinthians 15. How about Ephesians chapter 1? It's my goal to try to understand Ephesians chapter 1 before I leave this planet. But in verse 7, it says, In him, Jesus, he has blessed us in the beloved. In, who, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's in Christ. The word translated forgiveness means to send away or to cancel a debt. To send away or to cancel a debt. The Bible says in Psalms that he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. It says he's, he's placed our sin in the sea of his forgetfulness. And then I love what one pastor said, and he's posted a sign that says no fishing. Look at Romans chapter 8. Why is this good news? Other than our sins are forgiven, which is marvelous, the fact that we um, are not just forgiven, but we're redeemed. Look at, look at what it says in chapter 8 and verse 32. It says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33 is powerful. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It doesn't mean that there can't be things thrown at us, but there can't be anything that is thrown at us that sticks because we're forgiven. When Satan brings up our past, that past is the past. It's forgiven. Who is, verse 44, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What a powerful portion of scripture. That God did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us. Therefore, 
because we're forgiven and cleansed, not because of the act of Christ without um, our response to the act of Christ. The world isn't forgiven because Jesus um, died and gave his life. There is, there is our part. There is the, the elect of God who are forgiven. And that says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Why? Because it's God who justifies us, and it's God who is the alone is the faithful and righteous judge. The faithful and righteous judge. And knowing that we're forgiven makes it possible for us to have fellowship with God. Think about that. He brought us back into fellowship with him. We didn't bring ourselves back into fellowship with him because of the price that Jesus paid, because of the gift that God gave of his son. We can have fellowship with God. It also makes um, forgiveness uh, is uh, it makes forgiveness makes an, it possible to have a relationship with others. Knowing that we're forgiven makes it po uh, possible to, for us to fellowship with God, enjoy his grace and to seek to do his will. Forgiveness is not an excuse for sin, though. Because the because Jesus has done this for us, does not give us this blank slate that says, oh, I can just go do what I want because Jesus forgave it all, past, present, and future. To have that attitude means you do not understand true salvation. Because we're forgiven, the Bible says we can forgive others. And truthfully, the Bible says we need to forgive others. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians 3, verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Must forgive. So not only was forgiveness available to you and I, but forgiveness must flow through you and I. Forgiveness is not just available for you and I. Forgiveness must flow through you and I. We all remember it. I won't, I won't take you there, but you can write it down as homework. Matthew chapter 18, the, the parable, the unforgiving servant. He was forgiven much, but couldn't forgive a little. If we're forgiven much and can't forgive a little, we don't understand forgiveness. Let me bring this to a conclusion with um, a couple more thoughts. Jesus Christ is preeminent in salvation. We aren't means he's first. He's first in salvation. He went first. The Bible says that in Luke chapter 19 or verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Remember our Mark uh, scripture that talked about Jesus Christ coming in Mark chapter 10, 45. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did for you and I. No other person can redeem us, forgive us, transfer us out of the Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom and do it wholly by grace. The phrase through his blood reminds us of the cost of our salvation. Moses and the Israelites only had to shed the blood of a lamb to be delivered from Egypt. But Jesus had to shed his blood to deliver us from sin. Moses and the children of Israel... Israelites, each home shed one lamb to be delivered from Egypt, the blood of that one lamb. But Jesus Christ shed his blood to deliver all of us from sin. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 29, and we'll close. 
John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist looking up sees Jesus and says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is our Savior. He delivered us. He translated us. He redeemed us. And he has forgiven us. Let me close this in prayer in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Till we talk again.